0: Um, my name is Debbie Doty, and I, am, I serve with Medical Teams International. We're based in Portland, Oregon. We're a Christian relief and development organization, um, and I have been with MTI for a, almost, well, 17 years now. And before that, I was a missionary in Kenya, serving with Christian Missionary Fellowship, and worked in Kenya among the Maasai for 10 years. Um, and so I then transitioned in kind of into the more relief and development field. Um, And in my role with Medical Teams International, I have worked uh, both in Latin America but mainly Africa and worked with a lot of um, Christian uh, organizations, hospitals, as we come alongside to help build capacity, do training, send uh, volunteers. Uh, We're a medical volunteer sending organization, volunteers who can come along and do direct services, um, and also... Um, send some uh, medical supplies. We do that as well. So um, volunteers, medical supplies. And we do, uh, in other places, we do direct implementation of health programs. So a lot of community health. Um, and um, we're working currently operational and have offices in Liberia, Uganda, Guatemala, Cambodia, Nampin. Um Let me see. There's, where are the other ones? Um, I think those we have at least four right now, maybe five. Can't think of the other one. Um, and then we work mainly with partners in all of our other programs. So we have about 35 uh, working about th- for 35 different countries and work with partners. And so um, I am really happy to be here and share with you all today. And I am going to really apologize. I got sick on the plane here. I got the crud, and so my voice. I hope I don't get into a coughing fit and. Also, my brain is a little fuzzy, (laughs) so I I hope this will be of value to you. Um, It was something that has come kind of to my awareness as I have worked with MTI and worked with our various partners, and so I am just going to present to you some thoughts. Um, It's uh, not an exact science that I went through and did a perfect research on this, or I have the answers, but I just want to kind of let us journey together with some thoughts around how Christian hospitals and governments can work together. And one of the challenges that I have found in working in different countries is a lot of times there are a lot of different attitudes about that. You know, some Christian hospitals, it's like, sure, bring them on. We'll, we love to work with the government. And others, it's a stay away. You know, the bigger, the bigger the fence, the better, because they just cause us problems, and we can't do what we want to do. Um, so I want to share a little bit of my thoughts about that. My context is mainly Africa, so I apologize for any of you who come as probably from Asia or other contexts because you may have uh, other really good things to, to contribute, so I ask you to uh, you know, speak up <coughs> and add those uh, examples. <coughs> so I titled this, um, common ground, common good, because I, I feel like as we go through this journey, you will see <coughs> that there are many things that um, where we started out, and we have a lot of common ground with the government <coughs> for the people that we want to serve and improve health, but we also want to do common good. So we, we're joined together in that. We have those things in common. <coughs> Excuse me. So it's just more about examining the key role that faith-based health services have in collaboration with local governments. So why, why this topic? I'd like to refer us back to a document called the Declaration to Begin uh, in 3. Two, in 2014, it was a call to health and healing Uh, The World Council of Churches participated in this, and I think it has some really great statements. It's a whole document. I recommend that you go online and look it up. Um, I've just pulled out some key statements, but why would this even be important to us and to this topic? Um, Because the Christian church continues to have a unique, relevant, and specific role to play in health, health care, and wholeness in changing context in all all regions of the world. So we're a change agent. The church is a change agent. Of course, we want people to be changed by, you know, Christ coming into their life. But health has been an amazing avenue of that. Uh, Churches, Christian organizations, and networks working together with civil society, including people affected by disability or disease, to mobilize governments, international agencies, and the corporate world for more justice in health and access to medicines and quality health care. And, you know, that's the whole thing. We, we care about the whole person, and we want them to have access to quality care. And so when we think about participating with a government, we can play uh, Christian hospitals, clinics, organizations can play a really key role in bringing that quality and that access to quality care. And then finally, Christian health care that reflects Christ's love at all levels for all people in all parts of the world. That's pretty pretty inclusive there. <clears throat> so, And these are some of the driving um, motivations that I see as why we should be thinking about collaborating with the government. (coughs) The WHO reports that faith-based organizations own and operate an estimated 30 to 70 percent of health facilities in some African countries. That's huge. And in some places, they're the only provider of health services. Yet... On the other side, faith-based organizations remain under-recognized for their immense contribution to the health sector. So that's where they kind of step back and we're not, not as connected to the government and not as included in some of the statistics or the research that's going on with the government. So while they're a, a huge um, Christian hospitals are a huge contributor to health and improving health, they don't always get recognized for that so I, I think we have a key role to play. Now we're going to kind of go down memory lane a little bit. And some of you are going to know this a whole lot better than me. But um, I really, by the end of our discussion together, I hope that we'll have some, uh, we'll discover some things, which I came to and I discovered that I had no idea that we have amazing roots, that our medical health care and missions has amazing roots that we need to look at. Um, This historical perspective, over two millennia, Christian doctors and nurses inspired by the example and teaching of Jesus of Nazareth have been at the forefront of efforts to alleviate alleviate human suffering, cure disease, and advance knowledge and understanding. The first hospitals in the New World were founded by Christian pioneers. Early medical missionaries brought the gospel at the point of a lancet. Um, the church was a significant contributor and advocate for primary health care. Health for All, adopted by WHO at Alma-Ata in 1978. And I encourage you to go and look up that because it was a very significant turning point. Where everything was very vertical at that point, health care was very vertical, and then it began to know health for all. We began to look at the community. We looked more holistically and that there are other contributors to health than Um, You know, just looking maybe disease-specific or uh, just service delivery. So we kind of start out in a long time ago. Uh, China, the first medical missionary to China was American Peter Parker, who arrived in China in 1835. Uh, It was said that Parker opened China to the gospel at the point of a lancet. So that's where I drew that, that comment from. Africa, we all know Dr. Albert Schweitzer. Uh, at Lamarine in Gabon. Um, And I love this quote. He planned to spread the gospel by the example of his Christian labor of healing rather than the verbal process of preaching. And I'm sure some of us can identify with that as well, that we're called to heal. We're not called, you may not be feeling like you're called to be the evangelist, but in your healing you demonstrate Christ's love and you bring the gospel that way. In India, uh, Dr. John Scudder was the first American medical missionary in India in 1819, beginning More than 1,100 combined years of missionary service there by 42 members of four generations of the family. My gosh, think of that. What a legacy (laughs) in India. If any of you partner or work in India, you probably know of that legacy that's there. It's still going on. They're still doing, they have a medical college. They're still active family members and, and relatives there. And that's a long time ago. Um, In India, Dr. Clara Swain, and of course, being a woman, I'm excited about this, the first qualified woman missionary physician to be sent for overseas work was Clara Swain, a North American. Swain was assigned to India and arrived in 1870. And she had such influence because first time that she was recognized as someone as a physician and able to practice. And she had to be very culturally relevant but she began to teach women how to care for their neighborhood their na- and their neighbors and, and kind of started at the grassroots and then built up. And I think that we, there are other um, female medical um, doctors who have really paved the way. I didn't put her in here, but you think of Florence Nightingale. Florence Nightingale, although I, I don't know if she came out of a Christian tradition, but her influence was that she ignited within the church a desire to serve in nursing. So she influenced the church to get into nursing. Um, Christians have consistently raised the social status of the weak, sick and handicapped, and sought to love and care for them to the utmost of their abilities. Christians have been pioneers among hospital building and staffing, in research and ethics, in promoting increased standards of care, and in immunology, public health, and preventive medicine. They have carried Western medicine across the globe and improved the quality of life for countless millions of people. This comes out of an, um, an article that I found in, on the website for Christian Medical Fellowship in England, and it was a, it's a historical document, uh, the Christian Contribution to Medicine, this article. And it's fascinating because when you go back and look at some of the great things like the plagues, the church was there. When you go back to look and looking at serving the poor the orphan the widowed the church is there we have always been there and so this is an amazing place we we this is nothing new that we are doing but the influence that has grown out of that is huge and so when we look at this history and tie it to today we need to think how can we continue to have that influence and broadly not just in our Say mission compound, but how can we work with the local church, uh, work with mission churches here to see that opportunity? That's just amazing in the collaboration because being at the forefront of research, at, at innovation, we can contribute so much because we have been there from the beginning. That's where it all started. Um, and I wanted to share um, in my time uh, with Medical Teams International. I have been able to go to many different countries and work with various uh, Christian hospitals. And everyone has its wonderful, uh, unique contributions. And it's just a a real pleasure to get to know them and to work with them. And I just wanted to share with you some of the various places, just so you kind of have a little bit of the background of of where I have been and have worked. In Cameroon, both Bonzo and Bingo Baptist, uh, we have been partnering with. Uh, Soto Christian Hospital and um, my um, Christian Medical Center. Both of those are PACS programs, and we partnered sending volunteers there. Hope Clinic in Guinea. Um, And that clinic, uh, during the Ebola outbreak, we are also working in Liberia and Hope Clinic. We were able to send our staff over to Hope Clinic in Guinea, which was tricky to get across the border during Ebola, um, and to encourage them, teach them a lot about infection prevention and control. Uh, which they desperately needed because they had closed their clinic. And their clinic, that, that Christian clinic is serving a huge population, and there's nobody else. So it was really a great collaborative effort there. Obviously, you've all heard of Bongolo Evangelical Hospital in Gabon because uh, Dr. Thompson is from there who started PACS program. In fact, we started partnering with the PACS program years ago um, and started at, at Bongolo, so sending volunteers there. Uh, Phoebe Hospital in Liberia. Uh, a Lutheran hospital there, uh, and ELWA, E-L-W-A, e- um, Eternal Love Winning Africa Hospital in, in Liberia as well. We have partnered with them, and also a dental program there, in, in fact. Um, Kuchiala Hospital for Women and Children in Mali. And that we had a great opportunity to come alongside as that hospital was being planned, the architect and everything, and we had a, a, a God just such the heart of a donor who funded the pediatric wing. And so it was just the focus that women and children are so underserved, and the church reached out. It was really because of a missionary nurse in the area working, and she said, why are all these women dying? These women should not be dying. And it was her vision that ended up in this beautiful hospital that has been uh, developed and training is going on, and they're staffing it now with nationals. So um, we've had a wonderful opportunity to come alongside that, also send volunteers there. SIM Galmi Hospital in Niger, and uh, that has been again another really long-standing partnership that we've had with Niger. Um, A new one, Matru UBC um, Hospital in Sierra Leone. Uh, MTI has just stepped into a new partnership with World Vision. Um, You know, World Vision is very strong in their communities. Their their development uh, ADPs, their communities, and their child's uh, development programs. And they do great work in the community, but they, aren't, they haven't always worked really strongly in the, the clinic. And as they worked in the community to change people's behavior and say, you need to go to get antenatal care, you need to be immunizing your children, you need to be taking them to the clinic to, for treatment of diarrhea, they realize that you have to have quality care at the clinic. And so we have come together in this partnership with World Vision well, we're providing training through our volunteers at the clinic level so that we can help them to improve that quality while they are working at the community level to get people to access that care. So it's a really exciting partnership. Uh, we started in Sierra Leone, um, did an assessment there. Unfortunately, Ebola really precluded further work on that. Um, so we hope to pick that up uh, as soon as they are completely Ebola-free, um, but that is a great uh, partnership. We're also working in South Sudan uh, with World Vision. Have a couple volunteers there right now uh, at Quadjuk uh, Hospital. It's a it's a government hospital, um, and we are uh, just did an assessment and are going to be working in Zambia with them. Um, but looking at faith based hospitals, Good Samaritan Clinic clinic in Azara, South Sudan. This is really an interesting um, uh, initiative of the Episcopal Church. Again. This was started when people said, why are all the mothers dying? Our pastors, we had four pastor's wives die in a week. What's going on here? And that motivated them that we have to do something. We can't just you know, bemoan that fact. So they said, we're going to start a clinic. And they began uh, working in the clinic. And so we, they had a, a physician that was there. So we came alongside to do the, the community component on this one. Because you have that continuum of health care. Starts in that community and in the individual household level all the way up to, you know, you have your primary health care and then you could go to secondary or your tertiary level, but that continuum of care. So we came alongside to train, um, health promoters in the communities for safe motherhood. And that made a big difference because women to get antenatal care, be sure that they come and deliver at the clinic, all of those things. So that was part of what we did in um, South Sudan and with the Episcopal Church. We also worked with Life and Abundance Clinic in uh, Rumback and um, provided some funding for their project there as well as some supplies. So we... We partner in different ways, but you know, it is just fun to be able to travel. I, I just think it's a blessing to go all, uh, all over these places around the, uh, the globe, especially in Africa, and just see how God's people are expressing care and compassion where they are, doing what they can do. You know, and that's why it's so important that we come together and we look how can we be good stewards of those resources. You know, how can we come together and say, well, you've got this and you can do that. Well, let's put it together. Let's not duplicate, because we want to be the best stewards of God's resources. Uh, We've worked in Burundi uh, with Hope Hospital of Kabuye, And um, so that's sort of the background out of which kind of my experience has been. And so I, I ask myself, so, well, why aren't more of our Christian hospitals partnering with the government? Or those that are partnering with the government, how come they're not sharing their lessons, you know, with other Christian hospitals like could we put these all together because I think there's real benefit that we could get. So I thought, well, let's just look at some of the benefits and the risks of partnering and collaborating with the government. And I I think you all probably have some some ideas and some stories to tell. And so I thought I would just first of all kind of put it out to you, this question. Uh, What are your thoughts on the benefits and risks of Christian hospitals partnering with the government? Do you have some experiences you can draw from? Yeah.
1: Oh, well, I found that I had to do a lot of the training <laughs> because the uh, context I work in, I work in South Sudan, uh, they have had war forever, and they really don't know how to do their job. So the first thing I had to do was just go in and help them to train them. then I could work
0: with them, fine. <laughs> uh, but, but your government people that came in to work at your clinic were um, not trained.
1: Well, in Iraq... Um, when I was working there before, I went to the Ministry of Health and I asked for permission to take some of their people, train them, work with them, and, and then uh, it worked really well. It was a nice partnership. In Sudan, it's, we don't say the same
0: thing, but in Iraq, it worked very well. Okay, so it sometimes it's a context, too, yes. that is kind of has some barriers. Thank right. you. And hi, because we've been I communicating, know. so we'll have to talk <laughs> by email. Now I see your face, so yes, back here.
2: One benefit. I'm with a medical school in North Carolina that's a great job to uh, be the leading producer of medical missionaries. We'll can't wait to see how that works out. uh, Great. So
1: far, that's working well. We're on the right track. Anyway, we we
2: take a medical team to Jamaica every uh, Christmas, just before Christmas. And one one benefit is, well, first of all, you can't even do, you can't even work in the country without the government's permission.
0: Okay. Right. In, in,
2: In getting that, giving them a list of all the medications that's whatever we're bring in. Uh they they help us get new customs at no charge and everything is out there in the open and
0: they, they say it's five never bring it in. We we want charge a beauty. So yeah so it can be, be extremely helpful in bring mm-hmm. in things like that. Yeah, absolutely. And we want to partner with them in that way. We want to support the government as they bring standards into the country, right? And we want to support them in doing that. So that's all right. Yeah, or.
1: Okay, good.
0: Uh huh. And that is so respectful. And that is so uh, honoring of what they have uh, spent time developing. So that's a good example from Jamaica. Yeah, back there. What do do when you want to work with the government the work? Ah. Yeah. That's a good question. What do you do when you want to work with the government, but the government doesn't want to work with you? Because we're working the Amazon. Okay. You know, and people in the, in the middle of the forest, they, they don't
1: have the, the health care. Mm-hmm. And the
0: government's
1: not providing it to them. So, like, should we
0: go there or should we wait for the government? Good question. It's a very big predicament, isn't it? Because, yeah, you, you see the need, but the government doesn't want you there. So what do you do? Any examples?
2: Well, my experience is not in the Amazon. In Africa, uh, working with Christian Health Associations, these networks of Protestant, and Catholic, or Protestant, and Catholic uh, health facilities in about sixteen countries in Africa. And there's there's a platform now, uh, a continental network of all these Christian Health Associations called ACHA, African Christian Health Associations Platform, that has a website. And if anybody's interested in learning more about networks of Christian health work multiple denominations in mm-hmm. sixteen countries um, working with government at various to various degrees. There's generally a memorandum of understanding or some kind of agreement about the services that they'll provide, the, the fees they may charge, and this is one area that's conflict <coughs> where governments are providing food service and mission hospitals right. are charging. Uh, in many cases government is supporting uh, with a grant
3: salaries
2: for for workers at Christian hospitals or getting them a duty waiver or importing equipment and supplies. So there's a variation of country to country to that level of collaboration, but we're
0: certainly trying to look that. Yeah, that's excellent. And, Frank, I've seen your name in a lot of places. So, uh, yeah, I was going to mention the African um, Christian Health Association's platform, and I have a a little example in here. So that's great, though. I know that you're just speaking, you know, about that, and I think you brought a good example back to the situation in the Amazon. Like, well, who else is doing something and how did they get it done? And is there a way to work together? Because sometimes we think we've got to figure it all out and somebody else has done that. Now, I don't know for you, I don't have experience there, but I would do research and find out because a lot of times it's a relationship thing. Mm-hmm. Right? You've got to go with the relationship, not with all the laws and the legal things, and find that avenue and build that relationship and who knows who or whatever to start. And sometimes it's a pilot because they want to see they're they're kind of leery, the government is, well, how's this going to work? And they can throw up all kinds of barriers. But it's it's like we would anytime we would enter a community, we're entering to learn, we're going to learn, because what we have something to share. So I don't know if that's helpful, but we can listen to some other examples here. Yeah. Uh,
2: Sometimes this uh, collaboration can happen accidentally. I've Mm. had several uh, short-term trips to Honduras, and uh, as they were building this 11-acre clinic in the middle of the capital, um, the presidential palace overlooks it by, I don't know, it's probably a mile or so away. And one day he was, the president said, what are they doing out there? And so they came back and he said, well, they're building a clinic and it's, it's free to anybody who wants to come. And he said, well, good for them. And he gave it his stamp of approval and, you know, we sailed through customs. And
0: yeah, so there the government becomes your ally, right? Well,
3: planning is good, but it. Not
0: always absolutely. <laughs> right, because God has other ways of bringing about his work, doesn't he? And sometimes it's that proximity or just the opportunity that shows up itself. That's a great great example from Teguz, uh, Tegucigalpa, I, I think, uh, in Honduras. Yeah? <coughs> Two things. One, is you mentioned, research before about knowing who's there. Uh-huh. But
1: also, let's not forget operational research. Mm. So what we've done, and I'll talk to you later about Brazil. <laughs> uh, is you offer to help them do their own operational research. We have a policy <coughs> <come> from American, <coughs> American. Records It's not a policy, but everyone is advised by it. If you're over 50 years old and you've already published, and you help someone else publish, their name does not come first. Uh-huh. Uh, so that that researcher who's Brazilian or Ivorian or Filipino or whatever it is, their name comes first. Mm. That's instant rapport, mm-hmm. instant relationship. The second thing is, mm-hmm. a lot of national governments, whatever, whatever the program happens to be, the one I have the most experienced with is, is in the direct to disease programs, is you actually sit down and offer to help them write and produce, and then later on, them, the national strategy. You yep. have to follow WHO strategy and protocol. Yeah. And what the AFRO office says for Africa or Eastern... I mean, Western Pacific Regional Office, and then I work for the Philippines, based on the Philippines, Setzball, Oceania, Oceania. Um, so you sit down and help them do that. And then you just communicate to them that you're there to help them succeed. Well, it pays dividends.
0: Anyway. It does. And isn't that like a servant's heart because you are just being available. And I think that's a great example of American leprosy. Um organization coming alongside and making sure that when you publish that the nationals person's name comes first, as you said, kind of if you've published over 50. Or, you know, coming alongside the Ministry of Health to help them to come up with their national plans or their uh, particular (laughs) strategies. I know in, in Liberia, Medical Teams International, we started there in 2003 right after the war. Everything was destroyed. The Ministry of Health was an empty shell. And so they had no records, they had no deaths, they had, no, they had nothing. And so we came alongside to develop some of their policies and standards, especially with child survival. And so we wrote some of the first standards for integrated management of childhood illnesses and, and some of those key documents that the government needed. And we brought our expertise, our technical people, our uh, medical people to come alongside and do that. And that still stands. That is part of but, you know, we can see, well, what are what are we contributing? It isn't just what we do for our mission hospital, but how are we infiltrating, you know, those uh, environments where we serve. Very good. Um, mm-hmm.
1: I was just wondering if Rossell has a
2: mandatory one-year service requirement for their medical graduates.
1: Mm. We've
2: gone to – the yeah. Yeah. So they have to serve somewhere in an underserved area. Mm-hmm. We let them into the hospital. So that provided a place for them to serve, and they had adequate supervision, you know, by, um, well, by board-certified docs. And so they were able to get their credit, and hopefully, you know, they'd want to stay. And they
1: didn't have to be Christians to come to the clinic.
0: And that's bringing people to you, and you can disciple people there, because part of being in the environment of a Christian hospital is being able to instill those values, those biblical values of care and compassion and why do we want quality care? It's not just because we want to satisfy some policy. It's because we love that person. Because we want to serve the king with the best, you know. So those are that's a good idea. And one more back here, yeah. yeah um, ah. uh, um, one of the issues that the hospital
3: faces is uh, the whole problem medicine, um, the pharmaceutical
1: mm-hmm.
3: Really does a good job. Of to bring in medicine cheap, and mission hospitals kind of—that's kind of their life work, Being able to bring in medicine cheap, and we sell that at lower cost, making them more attractive. Um, our government recently has declared free health care for everyone in the country. That also impacts mission hospitals. Another issue right. that we face is, and could be one we don't. There is no real. Recognized status for confessional medical centers. That's absent in a lot of foreign countries. And that's something I'm I'm not a medicine, I'm, I'm just a stupid missionary. But, <laughs> but uh, one that, one thing that we're struggling with is just the whole absence of consideration of countries and places where English is not spoken. Even in this uh-huh. That's
0: just a yeah, so you brought up some a lot of really really good challenges and that our, our milieu where we're serving can change. I mean, the government can change like that. And all those relationships that we just spent time building can woo, be gone and we have to start over again. But that's the work God called us to. And to continue to love and to continue to want to serve. I, I'm not, I, I want to move on just because our, our time is fleeting here. Uh, but you've contributed and mentioned a lot of things that I have further comment on here. Um, I just want to go over some of the benefits of collaboration with the government. And these, this is not exhaustive, and I know you can add a lot more to it. But, Really, it's our mission. It's our witness. I mean, you know, um, and sometimes we'll find that there are really strong Christians in the government that can be advocates, too. But, you know, we're reaching out to the leaders, you know, and our witness uh, in the country. Uh, Our biblical values of compassion and caring, we can exhibit those. We can make those standards. Grassroots. The church is known for grassroots. Um, I think, and I could have said, well, uh, Joe Harvey said it all. Didn't he? We're in the darkest spot, but look at the impact we're having and how tremendous there, you know, um, at the grassroots. Financial transparency. This is one of the things that we should should be bringing. We shouldn't be hiding. We should be bringing that, um, and we have to be wise about that sometimes, but we need to be because that is a, a really high value. Um, accountability and stewardship. In other words, Are we monitoring and evaluating our our programs? Do we come in and say, is the quality of care continuing? What are the standards? How can we, you know, what records do we have to show that we are meeting those standards? Um, That's really important because a lot of times we do not participate in some of those studies. And this is where the church and Christian uh, health services have a lot to contribute. Health facility subsidies and staffing are from the government. So, yeah, you're going to get some uh, staffing that comes or sometimes subsidies for staffing. Sometimes it's medicines. I think Joe talked about this morning um, about receiving um, HIV and AIDS medicines that came at $60,000 worth or something like that. Um, We should be participating because the patients we serve need those medicines. So that's another reason. I mean, that's a very simple reason why we need to participate and, and collaborate. Um, because we can report and we can publish our health achievements. If the Christian uh, community is, in many places, giving 30 to 70% of health care, we have a lot. We, we need to be telling others of what we're doing. And we don't do that. We often are... Uh, we are remiss in doing that, and so that's just one of those things I'd, I'd encourage to us to think about. Uh, what about advocacy when we are in those uh, meetings with the government, and they can be very frustrating because sometimes they just eat your time, and it's just a lot of talk. I know I've been in those meetings, but I can say, wait a minute, this community here has not doesn't have anything. I want you to, you know, who can we who can you s- send to this community, or we can advocate because that community can't do that. We can be a voice, and then we can raise up someone in that community to be that voice. So advocacy is really important. Um, we can have resources, for example, global funds. Um, HIV and AIDS, TB and malaria, UCID funding, uh, funding uh, supplies and things for uh, family planning. Um, I know in Zambia, the Christian Health Association of Zambia has been re- uh, receiving global funds for HIV, AIDS, TB and malaria, and they're you know, they have 151 members in the Christian Health Association of Zambia. Their reach is huge in Zambia, and so they're accessing a resource to help serve the population. That is where we can stand in the gap and say, no, these people deserve that because we're going to be there to provide it. We're accountable. We can, we can reach it. Um, we provide training, nurses, medical schools for the country and in influencing the healthcare care workforce. Oh, my gosh, they just come to us and we train them? You know, it uh, reminds me, there's uh, the Lutheran Medical Center in Arusha. There, They have a nurse training program. Uh, there's, uh, I heard uh, that underway there may be a component to add to that, a Christian health evangelism, a cha- component to training them, preparing them. When they leave as nurses, they will know what to do in their communities. But these are going to be ambassadors going out. You know, it, the opportunities are amazing. Um Promote and practice best practices in global health. And we should be on the top of that. We should be reinforcing that within our country so that people are best served. Um, and I wanted to share a few quotes with you. Faith-based organizations deliver a substantial volume of health care and their common visions of stewardship, inclusiveness, dignity, and justice make many such organizations ideally suited as key partners for delivering the post 2015 Sustainable Development Goals. And I know we all heard Debbie Dorsbach talk um, last night. Excellent, excellent about sacrifice. It's not the, what's the indicator? I think she, she said it so well. You know, it's not hitting all of these things, but it's how can we share the gospel? How can we be there and be present? Uh, and, the, and the, you know, healthcare is an excellent way to do that. I uh, just wanted to mention Emanuel Hospital Association in India. They have 21 hospitals, 27 community projects going on. Uh, Central India Christian Mission, they treat 72,000 patients a year. Um, Africa Christian Health Associations, ah, they, you know, in 16 countries, I think you said, treating so many patients, amazing opportunity there. Faith-based organizations train a significant number of health workers, increasing the local health workforce. One of the biggest issues we have globally is lack of, of uh, health workers, and we can contribute to that. We can make a difference that way. Um, uh, the Arusha Lutheran Medical Center, the Pan-African Academy of Christian Surgeons, which you all know about here, training surgeons for Africa. Amazing that they've had 42 graduates um, looking at, um, seven, in 17 different countries, that's amazing. Um, the Valor uh, Christian Medical College, they do tremendous training there. And then also, faith-based organizations serve in remote parts of the world. The government doesn't go there. No the government workers don't want to work there, right? But we're going to be there, and we can attract people to come and work there. So this is we just have such a wonderful play, a place uh, if we collaborate. Um, this is, again, uh, the uh, Christian Health Associations in Africa, just kind of a map. Um, of where they are at, um, where they're, the various health associations, they're, all listed, they're kind of in the yellow, and then the other faith-based organizations are in brown, and then the other ones were quite not, not quite yet defined. Collaboration is so key, uh, and, and we have resources are so few, and needs are so great, we need to collaborate uh, and, and build those standards. I wanted to talk quickly about the Democratic Republic of Congo and Sanru. Sanru came together. Sanru is the effort of the church, the Evangelical Christian Church in Congo, who took on the healthcare system of the country. I mean, DRC is huge. Think about that. And yet, they were the ones that took that under. Um, they assisted a 100 of Congo's 306 health zones. Half of Congo's health zones are co-managed by faith-based organizations, NGOs, especially Catholic and Protestant churches. And... Um, I want to mention my friend Merritt here, who is with the Covenant Church. And the Covenant Church, uh, I happened to travel there, and they have their the whole area of that nor- northern New area is that's the the church. The health system is the church. And after the war, I was able to fly in there. Of course, everything is destroyed, but guess what? The church wasn't. The church is still there. They had the amazing and a really hard task of trying to reignite that health system. I don't know. There are like 90 health clinics and five, uh, I don't know how many um, hospitals you have, five hospitals. It's just amazing. Think of that. That's a huge part of health care being provided by the church. And coming along, how do we come alongside the national church? To do that, because if we all do it from here, it's not, going to be, it's not going to be lasting. But what's our role, and how do we work with the government? And SANRU was an example of it, it was the government and the church working together to provide health care. And over several different uh, versions of SANRU, even down to where uh, IMA World Health, um, the Evangelical Churches in Congo, Christ, uh, Catholic Relief Services, and World Vision International took on part of that health care. But you see, those are Christian organizations. They're all working in there. So Congo is a huge place on the continent. Um, so that's where the, working with the government has been advantageous. Again, I just wanted to mention primary health care in 1978 in Alma-Ata. That was an initiative that was pushed by the church. Health for all. Um, it's just, you know, um, the tenets of serving the poor, service to the community as a whole, disease prevention, and the pivotal role of women in health developed um, following uh, the Christian medical conferences and re- were refined by Christian Medical Commission and were firmly built into the evolving framework of primary health care adopted by the WHO and ruled out, rolled out across the world. It has been a, one of those pivotal changes that has happened. The church was behind that. What a legacy. It's just fantastic. I I loved when I found out the history behind that. Um, So I wanted to share just from different sources. Again, we're just kind of putting some ideas out here for everybody to think about. IMA Health, they said, what are the advantages of working in faith-centered health service delivery networks for community health? Um, And just some of the things that they mentioned. Effective peace and reconciliation efforts are often faith-based and faith-centered Members of faith-based indigenous networks provide 30 to 60% of health care in developing nations. Often the most important partner with the ministry of health, the church, is faith-based organizations with the ministry of health and health care service delivery. Again, key role, key avenue for the gospel. in some countries, faith-centered organizations are known as the founders of community health programs. Again, this huge legacy. Faith-based training institutions. Um, much, churches are much closer to the community. Um, and DRC in South Sudan, IMA's work could not be done without true partnership at that local level with faith organizations. Um, I want to bring the uh, example of Ebola in a Christian response, because we all know what happened with Ebola. And of course, missionaries were serving at Elwa Hospital and doing all they could. And you know the story of Dr. Kent Brantley, Nancy Whiteball, um, and, and what happened um, during that time of service at Elwa with Samaritan's Purse. Um, the Christian Health Association of Liberia was working with Rural Renew. Again, uh, Christian collaboration there to respond to Ebola because the government couldn't do it, but Christian organizations were there and could. Uh, MTI, we became one of the lead agencies. We worked in prevention of Ebola, mostly um, uh, infection con- uh, control and prevention. Um, but we, like, for instance, in, in the whole city, uh, whole county of, M- of Monserrato, we went to every health facility and made sure that they were doing the proper care for infection prevention because they had closed those clinics. So no children, children were not getting treated for diarrhea Mothers were not getting examined or able to deliver at the health facility, so we helped open up those clinics again because the health workers felt safe because they knew what to do. So we did a lot of training. We did a lot out in the community. But that would never have happened if we hadn't been there and said we're going to work with the government. As a Christian organization, they know who we are, and they know our values, and they know our successes because of how we work with people. And so there we had an opportunity, one of the biggest virus outbreaks, and we were positioned to do that. And so that's where those relationships are really important. Um, Then I just wanted to bring this quote here. Um, This is a situation where everyone needs to work together. Politicians, media, community, faith organizations, we all have to do something. If one fails, everybody will fail, said Um, and he was an epidemiologist and and coordinator of WHO's campaign in, in Ebola. I mean, when you think about, they're looking back and saying, wow, we've all got to work together here. You know, we have value in that milieu. Well, we've talked about there are risks. There are a lot of benefits, but there are risks. There are challenges. There are barriers. Some of those, lack of accountability. We know that sometimes you go together, Get, work with the government, and, you know, as they say, the, the resource gets eaten. Ooh, we don't know where it went or what happened, or, you know, we gave petrol because we wanted to help with the immunization outreach, and they didn't get to the village, we know those things can happen. So how can we build in some, you know, factors that help a little, give a little more accountability to that? But that does impact us because we want to be good stewards. Failure to deliver on promises, we've all, we've all been there. We all know that. Poorly trained staff, stockouts, sometimes they say they're going to provide meds and they don't. Difficult policies, Um, there's sometimes criticism for proselytizing. They say, oh, no, you can't do that. Well, you know, we pray with all of our patients. Oh, no, you can't do that. You You have to work with people. You have to be in relationship and say, well, what will it take so that we can do this? How, how can we practice? Guess what? We're, and then you can show your statistics. You've been monitoring, evaluating. You've got all your statistics. We're reaching this whole population. And you're saying we can't do this and we don't want to work, you don't want to work with us? Oh, you know, there's just ways to represent what uh, Christian hospitals are doing. There can be demands on our resources, like I've just mentioned. They can come by and say, we need your car to go do this, your vehicle. That happens a lot. Um, threatened autonomy. I hear this a lot from all of the hospitals. <laughs> no, we don't want to work with the government. They're going to make us change what we do. No, stay away. <laughs> and it's kind of like, just shut the door. We don't want them around here because they're going to, they're going to mess up the work we're doing. And I'm telling, challenging us to think about opening that door a little bit and exploring that and looking at some of these wonderful opportunities and benefits. Uh, reporting demands. Sometimes administration by the church can be problematic because, the church inherited a medical program, but the church is not medical administrators. They have a huge class, clash. And in Africa, there's a lot of um, mission hospitals um, that are, you know, coming. They're, they're running their own medical programs now, but the missionary left with all the resources. But guess what? That medical program didn't know how to raise resources. I'm not quite sure how they're going to manage everything. HR is a problem. You know, they have a kind of continuing staff turnover. There's a lot of issues Um, that can come along with administration by the church. So we need to be aware of that and make sure that we're supporting that side of it as well Um, and not just pointing a finger or being critical. But that could put them in a bad light and be a risk then when they go to work with the government because they're not as um, well-versed in that. Risk of not collaborating with the government, omission in research and policy, not recognized for contributions, isolationists, we're unfulfilled mission. I mean, really. Missed opportunities to advocate for the poor, excluded from resources that are badly needed for sustainability, compromises our health impacts, lack of accountability, and I'm sure that there are many others. So that brings us to a call for action. When we think about and we look at all these um, the the risks, the benefits, opportunities, but we go back to looking at the history, what are some of our next steps? Um, Some of these things have – these are ideas that I've just gleaned from different resources, and I'm going to just throw them out there. There may be something that lands with you, something to think about. Uh, Document and map the strengths of the uh, faith-based organizations networks. That means let's get together and say, what impact are we having here? Create continual dialogue and collaboration with the Ministry of Health. Promote faith-based organizations as part of the public sector. Work at all levels of the health system, especially national Sometimes we don't even get it at the national level. Create strategies for co-management of health systems. Establish partnerships with U.S. groups to handle funding. Um, and I know uh, that this came out of some of the study that has been done of faith-based organizations and uh, Christian health associations. And so I think a, they've, they've done their study on that. Um, okay. Okay. Uh, and this is another thing that I, just recently that came out, I think in July of this year, from the Lancet. There's a series um, all about partnership and collaboration, uh, strengthening of partnership between the public sector and faith-based groups. Excellent. There, it's, um, there are three different articles, uh, and it's very challenging. It's really, they've done some research. They've come up with some really good information, stuff that we need to think about, some um, faults that we have that we need to look at as a Christian hospitals, um, but I suggest that we look at some of those. Um, and you can go and get that Lancet uh, series online. But how public and faith sectors might collaborate, increase invest, investments in faith-based groups, and use efficient business models. This is a challenge. Sometimes we are more ad hoc in how we manage things, but efficient business models can be Uh, Good for all. Appreciate each other's objectives, capacities, differences, and limitations. Increase investments in faith-based groups and use efficient business models. Build core competencies in health and faith in both secular and faith-based groups to inspire innovation and courageous leadership. I really like that one. Do not use religious teaching to undermine evidence-informed public health practice or... Use secularist ideology to undermine faith-based groups' work and health. There's a lot of tension. There's a lot in that that statement that needs to be carefully looked at. But it's a it's a it's a challenge. Um, and I came across this this article from Guinea, from Papua New Guinea, and the strengthening the church and government partnership and factors that emerged from um, that literature said. Relational contracts that clearly define the roles and responsibilities of each party while valuing the distinctive motivations. I think that's really honoring um, and has a lot of dignity to it. Enabling remote service providers to respond to the local context within the framework of national policies. This is great because sometimes you can't meet all those national policies of the government, but getting an agreement that in that particular place you can do things a little bit differently. Involvement of church health service providers in policy development. I think that was already mentioned, coming alongside um, national health plans. Um, Improved human resource management. um, Acknowledging and managing the differences in culture and style between churches and government. You know, it it is a different culture, but can we bridge that? We're called to do those kinds of things. Support from other development partners and church health networks. Uh, This one came from um, Strengthening Church and Government Partnerships for Primary Health Care Delivery in Papua New Guinea that was out of a November 16, 2011 uh, Lessons from International Experience. So maybe if you just type in um, collaboration, government, faith-based organizations, Papua New Guinea 2011 or something like that. And then a technical brief, which I came across as well. I think I think I kind of started with this, and again, this goes back to the Christian Health Association. But uh, they they pointed out seven recommendations for furthering um, faith-based organizations' efforts: explore a way to build uh, African um, uh, Christian Health Association platform, health, uh, human health, health resources. A technical working group worked to increase faith-based organizations' application and institutionalization of evidence-based tools. Again, I think that's important. Increased monitoring and evaluation. Advocate for strengthened Ministry of Health and FBO partnerships. Increased um, human resource research. Increased uh, faith-based organizations' visibility. And increased documentation and publication of faith-based organization accomplishments. I think this is an area where we really are down. And so I really would encourage that. So we come back to common good ground, common good. How will medical missions respond? How will the church respond? And my discovery in going through this process was let's go back to our mission roots. Goodness, that we were doing all of that years ago. I mean, really changing the world and really being at the forefront of medical care and Serving the vulnerable and um, marginalized people, we were the ones that were doing it. And we can have a huge influence. So um, I just put that before you uh, for something to think about. And this is not, obviously, it's not exhaustive. Um, It's just something that was on my heart for us to think, you know, walk through. And as you, each of you go, if you're students or you're working with, you know, a Christian hospital or you're, um, you know, Thinking about what can I do where I'm at, all of that. Just keep some of these things in mind. You know, it's a lot to think about, but I just encourage you because the, the history, the legacy is so amazing. We need to take it on, and we have such an amazing calling in healthcare to share the gospel. And so, it's, it's. I just leave that challenge with you. Thank you for putting up with me and my voice today, and I'm glad I didn't have a, a coughing fit. Um, so God bless you all in your endeavors. Thank you. <clears throat> and I'm available for questions. If-